Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, or if you just want to watch, it's going to come up on the screen. The very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. We're going to start from verse 13. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, through uh, to the end uh, of uh, the book, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I give him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to all our hearts in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. So here we are, the final words. I wonder, has it ever been said to you, either by your mother, your father, maybe it was your wife or husband, or maybe it was your employer, you have select hearing. I take it from that you have, all right? From time to time, we do have select hearing. I, I I am one of the worst. I, you know, I must say there, you know, there are certain things that I attach onto, and other things that I just completely forget. And so often we, uh, you know, we don't listen long enough to hear the full sentence or the meaning, uh, you know, behind it. And you know, it seems now, as 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 we have seen as we made our way through Malachi, that uh, you know, God. God was listening in to their conversations. They weren't talking to God. They were talking between themselves. And yet God was encouraging them, but but talk to me about these things. 
And how often we do that, you know, that we do have people that we would rather talk to, you know, than God. And God is basically saying here, but you have selected hearing. But one thing God doesn't have, God doesn't have selective hearing. God hears everything. Isn't that amazing? And in fact, when, uh, you, know, you know, when you read that, God says, I take a note of everything you say. Now, isn't that scary? Some of the things that we have said, you know, God is, God's going to present it to us one day and say, you know, remember when you said this to that person? Remember when you didn't say this to me? So as we come to the end uh, of this book, we have a familiar pattern on interaction between God and his people, in which God speaks of what the people are doing wrong, and the people deny it. Yet isn't it wonderful that despite what the people are saying and doing, God persists and still calls his people to return. God is reaching out a hand. I know who you are. I know even what you've said. But I still love you. And I want to help you. Here we have the final words of God. There's a big debate whether it was 400 years or 500 years. I leave that down to you. You can discuss that over the dinner table, uh, you know, later on. But between 400 and 500 years, God's voice was never heard in Israel again. So these final words are are important because when you begin to read the Gospels then, you begin to read the word of the Lord came. John's gospel begins, the word of God became flesh. God was speaking again. So, number of things here that I want us to think about. Firstly, we have in these verses a God who listens to their complaints. Verses 13 through to verse 15. We have a God who listens to our complaints. The people of God are again not addressing the Lord to his face, but are spreading lies about him. So what were they saying? What does God pick up on? Well, the Lord has been listening, and he reminds them of two things. The first thing that they said against God is, what do we profit by keeping his command? What's the use of believing in God? What's the use in having a faith in God? When all the people prosper, it seems that the wicked prosper and those who follow God are downtrodden. So what does it profit me to give my life to God? Isn't it a revealing question? Because it's something that I, I myself as a pastor, when, when you deal with people, particularly when you're presenting the gospel, when, when people are asking questions about faith, what does it profit me? What do I get out of it? But you see, that question reveals one thing, and that is that they were self-centered. 
not God-centered. They were thinking about me. They were thinking about themselves. This question, uh, you know, is often said by Christians, isn't it? Usually midway through life, or when we're struggling to do what God is asking us to do, we get on our knees and we say, God, is it worth it? Is this really worth it? What I'm going through, what I have to face in the name of Jesus Christ, is it worth it, God? Or the other way of putting it is, well, what am I getting out of this, God? It just seems I'm getting heartache all the time. It just seems I'm struggling. You know, it doesn't matter how often I pray, or how long I pray, or how long I read the Word of God, or, or, you know, or, or how with such vigor, you know, I do the work. I'm getting nothing out of it, God. I'm struggling. The third way of putting it is, well, you know, God, for all that I am doing, what... What reward am I getting? You know, God, I want to be blessed in this, but it doesn't seem that I'm getting any blessing whatsoever. There's no reward in this. So the way the people of Malachi's day said it, well, what do we profit by keeping his command? You begin to see that it's very relevant today, particularly for, 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 for those of us who are Christians and for those of us who are struggling. Take note. God has heard it. The second thing that they say or speak uh, against God is how we count the arrogant happy, evildoers prosper. We move from self-centeredness to envy. You see, they were looking around them, and, and they, they began to envy certain people. It seemed, you know, that the blessing of God was on certain people, and so they envied those people. Or even as they looked at the wicked, you know, the sinners, who, who had no time for God, who never went to the temple to worship, who never prayed, who never gave anything to God. Well, it seemed that the hand of God was prospering them. And so they envied people's happiness. I'm sure you're aware of the statement, you know, the field is always greener on the other side, isn't it? That's how the people felt. And comparing ourselves with others will always leave us either discontented or arrogant. It is an unhealthy approach to life. Because God has created you, God has called you, God has set you, and God is saying, get on with it. So what is God saying here? Well, I believe God is calling us to focus on our relationship with him. Not to be looking around us. Not to be self-centered or envying. God says, it's between you and me. Look to me. 
We're here to serve God, as one commentator put it. God's not here to serve me. But isn't being self-centered a problem for every generation? It's not just for the 21st century. You know that. It's in every generation because it it goes back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were self-centered. They wanted to be like God. Isn't it hard for two self-centered people to sustain a marriage? Marriage is about give and take. But two self-centered people will not give. And so their marriage falls apart. Self-centered parents find children very demanding. They ask God for the blessing of a child, but when a blessing of a child comes, they look at the child and think, well, it's interfering with my lifestyle. I'd like to go out at the weekend, but now that I've got a child, I've got to stay in. You see, you become very self-centered. And those parents feel their children. Self-centered people find belonging to a church very challenging. And churches find it challenging to cope with self-centered people. It's a reality. Self-centered people are out to get what they want. And so self-centered people find it hard to cope with God. Because God is number one. God demands my life. God says, you're not doing this for you. You're doing this for me. And isn't that why so many Christians give up in serving God? Because they feel that they're getting nothing out of it. The people of Malachi's day looked as if they were serving God and thought they were serving God. But God showed them that they were serving themselves and were angry that God would not do the same. The second thing then that these verses teach us is that we have a God giving words of encouragement. Now, this is the first time in the whole of Malachi that we read of a positive response to the words of the Lord through Malachi. Up to this point, the response has been negative as the people have doubted, questioned, and rejected God's word. But as at all times among God's people, there is a remnant to respond to God's word with faith and obedience. What do these people look like? Fearing God. They fear God. In Proverbs 9 and verse 10, again, a familiar passage of Scripture, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God, reverencing God, respecting God, whatever way you want to put it, is the first step to to wisdom. So what do we need? We need two things. Firstly, we need a healthy fear of the Lord. There's a negative aspect to fear, but there's also a positive. People have a fear of spiders. 
I don't understand that. I just stamp on them. Rats, that's another thing. But that's an unhealthy fear. What is this healthy fear? The healthy fear is that one day we will have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for everything I have done and for every word that I have said. So we keep this always before us. I'm going to stand before God, and God's going to ask me, why did you do this, and why did you say this? That fear makes me step back. That fear doesn't allow me to say what I want to say. But I will allow God to say it for me. Now, isn't that difficult? That's not easy. Or I want to do something to that person. God says, no, that's not your right. Fear me, because one day I might ask you, well, why did you do that to that person? And I will judge you for it. The Bible teaches us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Again, I take a step back and I say, okay, God. You deal with them. That's not easy. But it's a healthy fear. Secondly, then, we need a promise from the Lord. In verse 16 here, he says, I will remember them. There's a promise. You see, when you and I give our life to Christ, that's it. Now, that doesn't mean to say there are things that we must do or that we must grow in faith. That's not what I'm saying. But you see, my name is written in the book of life. The promise that I have is that even though I may sin and even though I may feel God, God will bring me back. God will encourage me. Come back. And the promise is that He will remember me. I've said on a number of occasions to God, God, don't you remember this? Remember that promise that you gave me long ago? Don't you remember? It's not a terrible thing to say to God. Of course God remembers. But sometimes we think you know that we can awaken God or that we can remind God. But in verse 17 he says, I will treat them. So not only is the promise that I'll remember you, he says, I'm going to treat you. God's going to treat them as a special treasure. We're going to be his crown jewels. And in verse 18, he says, he will make a clear distinction. You see, on that day, dear people, he's going to divide us. There are those he's going to say, welcome. But there's also others he's going to say, go. Sometimes within the church today, it's difficult to make that distinction. But, but God says that on that day, it's going to be clear. 
There's going to be those who will stay, who say on that day, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I don't know you. It's going to be a clear distinction. So the debate that was going on in Malachi's day, is it worth it to serve God? God says on that day, you will look back and you will say, thank you, God, for saving me. Eternity will bring clarity. And so the third and final thing then that God lays upon his people before he closes heaven, God's day is coming. It's coming. I was sharing with the people uh, in, our, you know, in our evening service you know, about the Bible. The Bible is always written with the future, not the past. Yes, it contains things that happened in the past, but it always points to eternity. That's why the book of Revelation ends the Bible in eternity. But how often do we not live today that we think, well, you know, God's day is not really coming. You know, it's not really close. There's still a little bit of time left. That's what these people thought. And God reminds them, my day is coming. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, that's all, that's all it's about. God's day. What will that day be like? What will it achieve? Now, let me tell you, and, you know, if you go down to any Christian bookshop or walk into any Christian bookshop, one of the biggest sections has to do with the last days. I'm not going to delve into that. Because we're dealing with Malachi here. But God says there's a number of things. Well, two things. Firstly, judgment. Whether we like it or not, judgment. But the Bible teaches me that the judgment is for sinners and saved. You know, too often within the Christian church today, we think that God's judgment is just for those who didn't accept him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says that on that day, God will judge me as a son. So God says when that day comes, I'm going to judge. I'm going to be sitting on my seat, on my throne, and it's a judgment throne. The second thing that Malachi teaches us is here is that there's going to be healing. Isn't that remarkable? Those who have feared the Lord will find healing in their wounds. So the wounds that have been inflicted upon us in the name of Jesus Christ, on that day, I'm going to find a healing for those wounds. It's not going to bother me anymore. I'm going to stand before God healed. Whatever that healing needs for your body, God says, when you rise with me, I'm going to heal you.
And so what, what do we get out of this? Three things. Firstly, there's calamity for the wicked. What a horrible day for them. Complete destruction. Nothing left. It will be all over. But secondly, joy for the righteous. God says it will be unspeakable joy. Now, for some of us, that will be very difficult. Especially for those of you who are talkers. But you see, when you and I stand before God, not a word's going to come out because we're just going to go, wow. But you will be vindicated, sorry, vindicated, and you will receive your reward. You will accept eternal life, and you will live forever with the Lord. But thirdly, you and I have got to make preparation. Why has the Lord let us live the length of time He has? I believe with all my heart He has given us this time to be ready. I sometimes wonder why some of my friends died so young, and He allowed me to live. And you and I know that experience. We, we've all asked that question, why me? The answer is here, because you weren't ready. And God has given you the opportunity. Please be ready. And so God encourages His people. Come. Prepare your heart. It's going to be a great day. And I want you to enjoy it. I want your families to enjoy it. I want your friends to enjoy it. Isn't this a wonderful God? Because when God speaks again, what does He say? For you, for, sorry, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. And so God sends Jesus that we would be ready for his day. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, and we praise and thank you for the blessings of it. We thank you, Lord, that for Malachi, so long ago, it was a difficult message, and yet within that message, you offered hope, you offered restoration, you offered healing. We praise and thank you, Heavenly Father, for those of us who have accepted you as Lord and Savior, and yet, Lord, so often we have questioned, we've questioned your goodness. We have questioned why. And we thank you that you have listened to every question as a father listens to his son or daughter. And we praise and thank you, God, that you have continued to fulfill your promises for each and every one of us. And we thank you for the healthy fear that we have that we do not want the glory of the Lord to depart, but we want the name of Jesus Christ 
to be glorified. And once again, we bring before you those still outside your kingdom, but we know your Spirit has been speaking. Even today, your Spirit has been speaking. You've touched hearts. And all you're saying is, come. Give me your life. Give me your family. Give me your problems. Come. I want to hold you and love you and give you grace to live your life. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.